0: Welcome back to the Ina podcast in our series on independence. This month, we have been featuring entrepreneurs, and I am veering slightly with our guest this week, but you will see why she nestles in nicely with the independence theme. Tara Linney's independent spirit has led her to a variety of learning communities in the U.S. and internationally. Notably, she has been a third-grade classroom teacher and then a technology coach and coordinator in the D.C. area, Philadelphia, and North Carolina. Most recently, she has served as a leader in tech in schools in Singapore and Paris, She earned her undergrad in Florida and her master's in Philadelphia. Tara is an international speaker and author of Code Equity, Keying Girls into Coding. She is a passionate learner and innovator. In this episode, we learn about Tara's experiences serving schools locally and internationally and what prompted her to write Code Equity. Her story teaches us how embracing diversity and inclusivity has the power to change the world. It is a great honor to amplify for you Tara Linney's independence story. Welcome Tara Linney to the In Awe podcast. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today and to amplify your story for listeners. As you know, we are featuring you on the independent series. So I'm excited to share all of the great experiences that you've had with our listeners through this chat. So, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Tara, I am, I love, I was sharing with my daughters that I get to chat with somebody who's in another country today. So, can you share with the listeners a little <laughs> bit about your current contact?
1: Sure. Um, currently, I live and work in Paris, France. I've been here for a year. And before here, I was in Singapore over at the Singapore American School. I've been an international educator for the last four years. And in my work, I support teachers in integrating technology in meaningful ways and have presented at conferences literally all over the world. I mean, primarily in Asia, Europe, and the US. I've also authored the book Code Equity, Keen Girls into Coding, which is a way for educators to really Bridge that gender equity gap that sometimes exists in our classrooms when it comes to boys and girls and
0: computers and technology. So, you are right at home on, an, on the In a podcast with everything that you're doing because it's really fun in um, our pre chat. Tara and I were talking about how different mindsets can be. And I love the fact that you are just this world traveler and that you are able to share your story, uh, but also gather so many stories to continue to build your knowledge about how you can help um, in that equity piece. And the In podcast is meant to amplify women, but it's meant for men and women. in anybody to listen to. So I love that you have a focus in that area as well. So can you share, um, you know, there's another reason I've been featuring entrepreneurs on this podcast for the month. But I also asked Tara specifically to be on this one for independence because Tara and I got connected approximately a year ago in a Voxer group for women in ed leadership. And I have just loved listening um, and hearing and learning from your perspective in regard to a wide variety of things in the workplace and in personal. But could you share just a little bit about why we decided the Independence series would be one for you, Tara?
1: Yeah, definitely. So independence is kind of My middle name, I feel, Um, and like my parents can attest to this as well. So I've been pretty independent from a young age, um, just in terms of jobs and like where I'm going to work and what companies I'm going to work for. Um, But then also when it comes to life things like travel, Um, I'll pick up and just go somewhere on my own without always having to be in a group. And so I think that the independence part, like I've got a major independent streak in me um, that has yet to die out, (laughs) which I think is a really good trait and one that works really well in education as we try to um, innovate and try things new and push our boundaries and encourage students to do the same.
0: And I love that you you say you have an independent streak. Um, And I think that is a really kind of Wonderful trait to push you to do things like travel internationally, and and not just travel, but work. Can you share with the listeners how many countries you've been in?
1: <laughs> um, so I have this debate often uh, with people when it comes to like counting the countries, and so basically. Um, If Hong Kong is allowed to be counted as its own country, then the total count is 31. Um, If it's not, then obviously the total count is 30. And I officially, as of um, my birthday in early June, um, I've traveled to at least one country on every continent except for Antarctica. June was Egypt.
0: Wow. What do you think has kind of prompted that independent streak in you. And when you travel, I mean, what is it that keeps you wanting to do more? And I mean, do you have that inside you where you just have like a competitive streak inside yourself where you want to see so many places or is it just the joy or is there a particular thing you do when you're traveling? I'm just curious about that.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is that I've always loved new experiences and there's just something about the uncomfortable ambiguous environments that I really really thrive in. So whether that's like a job or whether that's never having traveled internationally and then accepting a job in Singapore. Um, I like I like adventure, but I also like it in kind of a safe context when it comes to travel. So um, I tend to plan a lot before I take a risk. So most of my risks are very calculated. And then the travel aspect, like it can be taxing at times and sometimes really tiring. But what I love is just being exposed to different cultures and different ways of life and different people and different languages in different places. Um, Anytime that you go somewhere outside of your comfort zone, outside of your hometown, you're exposed to things that are not... The way that they've always been in the area that you live in, and I think that that exposure allows us to grow and become more connected um, as a whole world rather than just focusing on our little silos.
0: In in your work, then, in the work that you've done in schools, how do you think that's impacted your work with students, with staff? Do you want to share with the listeners a little bit about kind of how you've led and how your perspective then kind of flows into? the other, you know, others around you because you have that wider angle lens? Definitely.
1: So I think a lot of it has to do with interdisciplinary learning, which I've been a big proponent of, um, since before going internationally. So it's bringing purpose into education, but then also, like, is what we're doing in math similar to what's happening in science? And if so, can we talk across the hall and say, hey, you're doing this. Well, I can support you in this way and you can support me in this way. And then that way, students are being exposed to um, the same concepts, but in different areas in different ways. And so I think through interdisciplinary learning, like for sure is a really great way. Um, Another thing that I've been really into uh, for the last, I guess, about three years has been the sustainable development goals. Um, These goals replace the millennial goals. And they're basically um, goals that are set up by a partnership with the UN in order to save the world for 2030, essentially. Um, And they focus on so many great things that students can be empowered to really like take on um, like climate change and water quality and quality education and gender equality. Um, And just so many, there's just so many connections there that can then be connected into the educational environment so that so that students and teachers aren't just learning because this is what the curriculum says but rather we're learning this because this is the impact that I want to have on the world
0: that's so cool and and what a lofty mission to save the world <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to laugh it off. It just sounds really great. What has been maybe one of the most impactful examples that you've seen come out of that?
1: Oh, wow. Um, just one. So from that, I would say in Singapore, we had this um, this design hackathon and the number of sections per grade level was pretty huge. We had 13 sections per um, grade and well, we had 13 sections of fourth grade. So about 300 and some odd students and that was just on one campus and that was just for one grade level but A couple of years ago, we did this design hackathon where students had to find problems throughout the school and develop really innovative solutions. And they had a total of essentially two days to do this, but they worked in project teams and they were asking questions of experts who came in to explain, like, here's how solar electricity works and here's how you can power a cell phone by riding a bike. Um, So just... Really putting the power into the students' hands in terms of having them see like what different problems are and then crafting these really cool ideas and seeing them come to life, um, I think has been one of the coolest things because it connects to the curriculum in so many ways, but without it being like this textbook-driven lesson, it's more experiential and purposeful.
0: Oh, and... And how memorable for them. And I just, I love thinking about how that can tie so closely to all of the other great work that you're doing in your passion areas. And just thinking about the impact that that would have on the learners. Um, and so, wow, just thank you for <laughs> the innovation. And in that is really cool. I love <laughs> it. I'd love to be able to see it. Yeah, definitely. And so another question, because I mentioned the passion area, and I love that you, you know, you mentioned you publish a book. Can you talk to us a little bit about this? Uh, you know, th- for those that First of all, there may be some listeners that don't even really know what coding entails. And I know for a lot of people that sounds, the educators that are listening like, well, of course we know what coding is by now, but that's not accurate. I'm learning, and maybe you know this too, that there's still a lot of the world that are still afraid of this idea of coding and teachers that aren't really, you know, getting into it. So could you just share kind of like the layman's version of, of what coding is and just a little bit about what prompted you to, I mean, write a book, that's kind of an accomplishment. (laughs) So I'd love to hear about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, So what coding is, so there's a lot of things in the technology field that um, overlap. So lately there's been, artificial intelligence. Um, There's been virtual reality, but we won't get into the different realities. Um, There's been coding, computational thinking, computer science, computer programming. Um, Between those four things, coding and computer programming are most similar. And so coding is basically the Um, programming of a computer. So writing a script that allows something to do something. For example, if you ever used the Scratch program, that is block-based programming. And so students can drag over color-coded blocks. And when they put the right combination together, they can then see like, what happens on the screen so they can make games and do digital storytelling with it. When you get more into the syntax coding, the syntax is more about using characters um, and using different letters and symbols and things to write a program. And with that, you'll see that on the back end of spreadsheets when you do things in awesome tables, which is a super techie thing, but really fun um, if you like stuff like that. And then you'll see that um, in the source code of different Websites. So, when people are building um, websites from, from scratch, they're oftentimes doing the more syntax based coding. And with syntax based coding, you're um, seeing languages like Ruby and Python and Java and JavaScript and C. And so, what I find in education, um, especially internationally, is that when it comes to coding, um, people get most when they hear it because they think of that that syntax language, um, and they're like, whoa, this is like a whole other language, and it is, but I think that what um, creates kind of a cushion into that is the more logic-based coding that you get with things like Scratch, where it is the drag and drop, because in order to understand the syntax, it's super important to start with the logic. So you can make sense of what words are and then figure out the order that they go in and the spelling and things like that. That tends to be like how we learn words when we're young. So we learn how to say it um, maybe before we know how to exactly spell it. And you can think of the syntax as the spelling and the saying as the logic. Computational thinking is another thing within the whole coding and computer science area. Computational thinking is actually it's how you approach problem solving. So it's how you go about decomposing problems, um, creating algorithms, um, recognizing patterns and things like that. And that's something that can be a style of thinking that can be integrated within uh, different content areas. So when you're doing poetry and students are looking at stanzas or they're creating their own rhyming poem Um, they look for the patterns and then they say, okay, if I change out these letters and this word, then um, I can make this rhyme. Those are kind of the overall definitions of the different areas of coding and computational thinking and uh, programming. My book, Code Equity, Keen Girls into Coding, attacks a lot of those areas, but focuses more on how to create gender equitable learning experiences for students. The whole premise of the book, which is in the preface as well, is that the whole like reason for writing it was that when I was in Singapore, um, I started an after-school coding club and called it Programming Pioneers. And thought that it was like really catchy and cute. And it was. It it got uh, 25 students all together, which was pretty big. I had done coding before that. In after school programs, and integrated it into the classroom when I was stateside in both Washington D.C. and just out of sh- just outside of Chicago, in a little place called Crest Hill, Illinois. And then when I moved over to Singapore, I was like, "Yeah, let's go ahead and do this here too." So when I set up the after school club, um, I opened it up to boys and girls in grades second through fifth and got 24 boys and one girl. And that just started everything because when I had done the different coding clubs in the US, I had, I had first started at an all girls school in Washington, DC. And so of course there, you're going to get all girls. When I did that in Illinois, I got all girls. I mean, we did an event for all girls and then we did like a parents night event and had boys and girls and, um, Congressman Bill Foster at the time. And, from that event, he was like the speaker of ceremonies, not really ceremonies, but he was like our guest speaker. Um, And so then in 2014, he invited me to be his special guest for the State of the Union address, which was pretty amazing. And then after that was when I moved to Singapore. So when I got the 24 boys and one girl, I was like, huh, well, let's turn this into a social experiment because I can't change the makeup of the group, but let's just see how they interact with each other. That is really the thing that prompted me to write the book because knowing that that scene of having 80, 90% boys and like a small percentage of girls in a coding club or in a coding class is something that scene no matter where you look. It's not everywhere, but it's in a lot of places. And I think that it's something that mm-hmm. um, people are aware of, but don't know how to fix or address or if they should.
0: Yeah. And that experience, and I'm so glad you put this out into the world and that you sh- you shared it and um, that you're mentioning it here because a couple of things have been resonating with me as I was listening. One of them is that we just actually had uh, Naomi Harm on the The podcast last week. And she's been in this space working with um, getting, you know, girls more involved in STEM at an early age. And, you know, she shared some of that data about how our girls are dropping out of the science and technology and computing areas, you know, Mid, was it? Is it middle school area, middle school years? And so, I, you know, I saw that as well as a high school principal. One of the things that I wanted to take on and never actually totally came to fruition, but our tech director and I. Wanted to start an opportunity for students to do some robotics because uh, we hadn't had that in play and we had an interest meeting and same thing, um, same exact thing, Tara. And I had not I had specifically invited a couple of girls and it's just it's kind of the numbers that we see. And just spending time thinking about that, I think, is important. But at the, the high school level, very clearly true, you know, and so, but then I, on the other hand of it, looking at the fact that my girls are in a system that is really promoting this. So when you were talking about the blocks and the color and the pattern, I'm just smiling because my uh, girls who are going to be in second and fifth grade have both been able to experience coding. They both love it. My oldest is being really poured into to be able to do some STEM camps coming up. And so it's really great because I know it's work like yours, that's making an impact and a change so that we're being more mindful about it in our schools and being careful to encourage and not discourage. Um, So thank you for putting that out into the world. I'll make sure to link it so that our listeners can check out your resource as well, because we don't want to, we don't want to hinder opportunities for either gender, you know, um, if that's what they're interested in, right? Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people, they ask like,
1: well, why do you focus on girls? And I've always thought like, if we're going to change something in the world, then The most logical and smartest place to start is by doing so in education because what you do for those 13 years of a child's schooling and what they see, that's going to have a huge impact on who they become when they turn into adults. And if all the boys ever see are boys in their different coding classes or coding clubs and whatnot, then When they go and start their own companies, who do you think they're going to hire? And same for girls who start their own companies. Like, oh, well, it's primarily boys. So I guess that boys are going to be the ones who are the experts at this. Whereas like when you do a coding club and you have it as girls only, um, I only do girls only coding clubs in lower school or elementary school for one main purpose at that age, when you establish those relationships with the different students, what you're doing is you're creating this community of iterators and of learners with girls who might have been put off by trying it with boys because the boys might have judged them too hard. But it's almost like this sisterhood bond that they get in in elementary schools, so say K through five. Then when they graduate from fifth grade into middle school, or when they go to another school, they've then got other girls, especially if they stay within the same school system, they have other girls who now have iterated and tried and created and done really cool things in coding club with them when they were in elementary school. So when they get that opportunity to take that computer science class or to do some type of coding class they're more likely to take that on if they've got a partner or somebody familiar in that room with them. So by establishing the community early on, then it's less likely for them to shy away when they get into middle school and beyond. Whereas if they're the only one and they're in middle school and it's their first time that it's like, whoa, this is really scary. Like it's almost like going to college in a different country where everybody else like looks different
0: and speaks a different language. Thank you for providing that perspective and sharing your, your reasoning behind that. And I, I can see because over the span of years, just enough experience to see those kinds of things. And we don't like to talk about differences. I I don't know if you've noticed that Tara, (laughs) All the same. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. I think, in, and I, I don't know because I'm not as well traveled as you, but I would say in the United States, we tend really to struggle with acknowledging differences. And I know I've been in that camp before. I've, I've shared this before. I, I, as a third wave feminist raised and didn't even realize I was one, I didn't want to acknowledge that there were difference between men and women because women can do everything that men can do and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I say blah, 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 because I've been able to process that and become wiser and more educated about it. Um, um, beyond my sphere. It's the one topic that I feel comfortable saying, yes, there are differences. And in fact, uh, we perpetuate them when we ignore those differences. It's the same thing as when I've encountered and I've kind of butted up against people who say there's no difference between women in leadership and leadership. And I struggle with that because I see that there all that ignoring of the differences does is perpetuate it. It's kind of like when we don't want to talk about race and we we say we're, you know, it's that whole idea of being colorblind actually perpetuates further racism because if we say there's no difference, then uh, we perpetuate those stereotype biases more. I just love that you're doing that. I love that you're boldly and pretty unapologetically <laughs> trailblazing in it. So thank you for doing that because it really matters it matters a great deal.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's it's a very exciting time for sure, especially with different movements over the years. So like the hashtag me too. And there's been a lot of stuff about women in leadership. And you can go on Twitter like any day of the week and see things about women in different tech companies that are trending. So I think that it's Like now's the time, like strike
0: while the iron's hot, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I always think about that phrase for just a time as this. I, and again, that you're not saying that we only focus on girls because girl power, we're not saying that girls are better and um, boys are not. I find that a lot that when we try to amplify one, um, the other, there's a perception that we diminish the other. We're just trying to, I, I don't even know that it's even equalizing a playing field because we know that in many industries, there's still a large disparity, uh, Uh, In the gender. And I look, my recent research has shown us that like in education, there's 80% are female uh, teachers. And we've got, we're getting closer to 50% as administrators, uh, building level administrators, but we're still at 25% females as superintendents. And so just in the education field alone, we see a major disparity there. Uh, And, you know, there is a lot of reasons for that, of course. But so I, I do agree with you. I think that there's there's change happening and we can impact that change and we can be a part of that in our lifetime. And that's huge. When I think about my daughters, I don't want doors to be closed for them simply because of who they are. Obviously, that can broaden out to any one of us, you know, that that feel Like we, our doors are closed, and I just in this area alone, I love that you're doing that because girls can code (laughs) and they can code well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, the one that I had in Singapore, like she, I mean, there was like a, a there were a couple of times in which the boys kind of bullied her and said, you know, you don't know what you're doing, and blah blah, and like she went and hid under a table, and I was like, well, but you do know what you're doing. She's like, yeah, but they're saying that I don't, and it's like, okay, but you do, and you can show them that you do. And it's just all about really getting on that confidence piece so that like girls can believe in themselves so that like when you're not there to be their cheerleader, that they've got it and they know that they've got it. So it's like instilling that in them when they don't have it for themselves.
0: Yay, Tara, way to be a champion. I love it. I love, love, love it. So I just wanted to share this because actually, and to go back to it, when you started talking about algorithms and JavaScript, I mean, my, my mind started numbing a little bit. (laughs) Because (laughs) but then you hooked me back in when you were talking about, uh, you know, the, the rhythm and the rhyme scheme with poetry and that being tied to coding and being tied to patterns and this computational thinking and all of that. I think we, we tend to limit ourselves when we start to identify in any one area that our learning is best in this spot and not in this, and that we don't have that idea that we can grow. And then I was thinking about how with my own tech and my learning just in the last six months, how I'm learning that I am I don't think I'm coding, but I'm doing things in HTML. I'm editing in HTML on websites. And boy, you know, a year ago I'd have been like, well, (laughs) I don't know how to do that. Like, let's convert. It It says convert to block. And I'm like, nope, I'm sticking in HTML because I can do this. You know, it's just kind of fun to to know that we can grow. Oh, yeah. It's an exciting time for sure. Okay. So getting back to you, Tara, uh, just a couple more questions about this idea of independence. And I wanted to share this with, and I don't think it's getting too personal, but one of the things that always strikes me when we're talking and having conversations and one of the things you shared about in your, your most recent role was the idea of being a single educator in another country. And would you just kind of share a little bit of perspective, um, for the rest of the world and listeners about what it's like to what your experience has been being independent in that way too, in your personal life tied to your professional life? Yeah.
1: Um, it's been so like in the international, um, In the international education world, there's this whole thing about teaching partners. And so, like, when you move from one place to another, there's consideration for if you're like part of a pair or if you're on your own. I know that that's something that schools look at, and it's not as, and sometimes, like, they'll choose either a pair over an independent like individual person um, or they'll choose the individual over the pair. So when it comes to the independence aspect though, it's really,
0: it's,
1: it's really nice. It's a great position to be in because, um, when I moved to Singapore, Like, it was just me moving there. And so I took into consideration, you know, the new country and did my research and found this really interesting Business Insider article on the 17 Weirdest Laws of Singapore. And they are very strange, but very true. And then just went for it and stayed there for three years. Um, Learned a lot, traveled a lot. And then when I got the job here in Paris, um, I was actually... At a speaking at a conference in India, and um, I was with one of my friends who was speaking to some of the Indian dignitaries that were there and got kind of bored in the moment. So um, I go on my phone and I'm just scrolling through Twitter, and uh, I see the job in Paris, and I was like,
0: Yeah, let's do that. Uh, And I love that idea of that independent spirit that you have, because I've written and thought and reflected a lot about this. And especially in the last year of my life, this idol of a title, you know, and and we tend to idolize those titles and, and maybe get stuck in them a little bit. And so this just idea that you're not going to chase a title necessarily. Like you're independent of that. You're going to chase the work, the work that's passionate for you, that fuels you. Um, And you're not going to get stuck in any one place beholden to one specific organization. Maybe you will eventually, but for now that independent spirit has served you well and it served the communities that you've worked with. So that's, that's just kind of a fun little, fun little story to highlight that. I have a couple of standard questions that I asked Tara on this, uh, on this podcast. And the first one is if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say?
1: Oh man, there are so many things. Um, so just to preface this a little bit, um, I am biracial. So my father is black. My mother is white. And most of my formative years were in a very, very, very small town in a state that I won't say, but it's in the South. And, um, the population was like 2000 people and we were the only interracial family in the whole town. Um, So one thing that I would say to myself back then would be, don't limit yourself, like realize like keep reading and keep, keep dreaming Um, because those things will come true one day and like realize that there's a whole other world out there and that you're not limited by your surroundings. You're only limited by your mind. Um, so just know that there's so much more out there to see and do and be a part of, um, and that you'll find your place somewhere.
0: I love that you shared that. I, I thank you so much for that vulnerability. And I also think too, that it makes me want to have another interview with you. I just get to, and I, I'm going to have the benefit of doing that. I'm going to get to know that a little bit more about you, Tara, because I think about how that must, um, that experience and that context that you shared must really have an impact on your independent spirit. And I I love kind of thinking about people's stories and kind of peeling apart those layers. So that's really great. And I, I'm sure that that message that you just shared hit one of our listeners in a, in a really important way. So thank you. And the second question that I have is as an influential woman, what would you say to a person who's listening right now that finds themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, and they need to hear Tara's words to kind of help them crawl up out of it right now?
1: Yeah, those, those pits always happen. Like they're normal. And I think one thing is, to just listen to your gut. So like anytime that you get one of those pits in your stomach and you're just like, Oh, I don't want to do this. Or like, this isn't the right thing. Or like, am I even doing the right thing? Just find the silence somewhere. So I do that. Oftentimes I find my like Zen and calm by doing a Sudoku puzzle. Um, and that like helps to center me when nothing else will. Um. So take that time, just that that time, that kind of selfish time, even if it's only for a few minutes, and really just reflect on where you've been and where you want to go. Um. So I'm doing that a lot right now. I've done a whole lot of Sudoku puzzles. Um, <laughs> and they're part of like the fiendish Sudoku too, and. What I find that's really great about that is that it gets your mind to focus on something else instead of going into a million different directions. And it helps to, like for me at least, it helps to really center me so that I'm not, it provides kind of a distraction from things that are outside of my control essentially. So just know that when you take a leap of faith, Everything will work out one way or another, even if you don't know what that way is, like I'm realizing right now. And um, yeah, and just take that time, kind of that selfish time, even if only for a few minutes to get centered and do something that's
0: just for you. So Doku, I love it. And so thank you for that wise words and for sharing, you know, that vulnerability piece is that we all experience that. And so it's always good to hear when somebody like you who is an international traveler and has kind of beat back a lot of different fears that many of us may have about that and has written a book and presents and, and has a lot going on that you also struggle Um, in that pit. And I really appreciate how you said that we, we fall into them plenty of times. So I really, we thank you for that vulnerability. So Tara, I am going to make sure that I link up, uh, the ways to follow you on social media, but would you share with the listeners the preferred way to engage with you if they want to be able to have a conversation after this interview?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I find that Twitter is my like social media of choice. Um, I'm also on Instagram and then, um, I'm on Twitter just at Tara Lenny, just my name. And,
0: um, by email I'm getting better. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tara, for taking time out from wonderful Perry to have this conversation with me in good old Wisconsin. And I thank you for the awe-inspiring interview that you've provided today.